Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get it. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. You know, I'm super grateful to be here today, you know, having you guys listen to this because there's so many things that we could be doing during this time, so many different things you could be watching and listening to. So I greatly appreciate you guys. It's a really interesting time right now, as you all know. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of let you guys know that the interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks were recorded a couple of weeks ago, right? So when we were recording these, some of the stuff that has evolved since then has become a lot more evident now. When I had this conversation with Jen, who I'm going to introduce in just a minute, it was, it was brand new. Like this wasn't even anything yet. This was, you know, it was kind of getting serious, but there was still, we were, we were both still really skeptical. And I just want you to keep that in mind with the conversations in the next couple of weeks, because some of them recorded before we knew the facts a little bit more. And as things, the panic set in as how a lot more rules have been set in with quarantine and all that, you know, obviously the conversation has shifted as to the importance of what's going on. So Although me and Jen had an amazing conversation, she's absolutely incredible. You know, we touched on the coronavirus a little bit and what's going on, but we obviously were still really new into it when we filmed this. So just keep that in mind, right? We also really, I, I want you guys to understand too that I really believe in the human spirit and I believe that I'm called here to bring value, bring inspiration into your lives because that's what I know how to do. I've realized my superpower is being able to connect with people and, I, and sharing that with the world through my stories, through other people's. And I hope that that can give you some hope and inspiration in your own lives because I know things are going to get ugly. I know things are going to get tough for a lot of people. But I want you to know that nobody can take away the human spirit. And I want you to know that inspiration and understanding that people have been through a lot of shit and been able to get through it, everything anything is possible. We just got to stick together and we got to stay the course, accept the journey, love the journey for what it is. We're all going to learn a lot. I know some people are going to be in worse situations than others, but I promise you there's a silver lining and I promise you there's going to be a reward on the other side of it. May not see it now, but keep your head up, stay positive, and I promise you things will get better. So without further ado, my next guest, her name is Jen Taylor. She is a mom of 18 and is also the naked podcaster as well as a, a motivational speaker. I had the pleasure of being on her show not too long ago. She's got one incredible story. I remember going on her show and I was just blown away when I heard about her. So it's really, really inspiring to hear what she's doing. Jen has 15 years plus experience in the foster care sector as both a parent and a trainer, and has written a blog for over eight years, and is a published author of the self-help memoir, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess. Jen is also partnered to an amazing man in Reno, Nevada, a runner, minimalist, 
and healthy life enthusiast. What you're about to listen to is one amazing conversation. And if you want to get inspired by somebody's story, which will blow your fucking mind, I suggest listening to this right till the end. She's amazing. And I was so inspired and so, you know, blown away by the story and what can somebody can overcome and still be able to have such a positive attitude and still just be able to teach that to others with such amazing enthusiasm and spirit. So I know you guys will love this. And I know that this is the medicine that we all need during a hard time is this, these stories of inspiration. So please let us know what you got out of this. If you don't mind leaving a review and if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. It really helps the show. Subscribing, leaving a review really helps. And if you feel that somebody needs this, share it with a friend. However, text somebody, tag somebody in an Instagram story. We just want to get this out, right? So please help us in that regard to spread the love, especially during this challenging time. Okay. So without further ado, enjoy, sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation. Jen Taylor coming right up. Jen, how are we doing? Awesome. How are you doing? <laughs> so good. So glad to have you on the show. I was just on your show not too long ago. It was so much fun. And I remember talking to you and thinking like, wow, okay. <laughs> You're asking me all these questions and I'm like, I got to get her on my show because you got uh-huh. a really, really powerful story. And uh, mom of 18, naked podcaster, that whole thing was very interesting to me. So welcome to University of Adversity. It's I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled. Yeah. So as always, I always like to take it back to the beginning of where, you know, how this all started and you can start wherever you want when you're a kid, a teenager, whatever, but take us back a little bit and maybe give us some insight into what was the biggest struggle you faced growing up that had the biggest impact on your life. I'd have to say that's such a tough question because so many things are intertwined, but my parents divorced when I was six and my sister was three. And that was definitely the catalyst to a lot of different changes. The divorce was hard because I was a second grader thinking it was my fault. And like, like a lot of kids feel, they feel like if they had done something better, it wouldn't have happened. And then I had the most outstanding human being as my teacher in third grade, She was so outstanding that although things in life got considerably worse after third grade, she made such an impact in me that I knew to her I was worth it. And that, I I mean, I can't even tell you the power that that had in my life. I talked about her a lot in public speaking. Carolyn St. Jean is her name, but I actually went back. It's been summer of 2020 will be 20 years. So I went back in 2000. I found her in Rhode Island where I was raised And I thought uh, the only person that doesn't know what an impact she made on me was Carolyn. And the only person that really should know is Carolyn. So uh, those two things happened at the same time, one incredibly negative and one very positive. After my parents divorced, my dad moved to Pennsylvania and I saw him five or six times until he died. Uh, He died in his 50s, drunk at the table, sitting at the table with a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other. He was a raging, angry alcoholic, very abusive verbally, very abusive physically. It was a blessing that I actually only saw him five or six times in my life. When I hear people talk about their parents, you included, and you know how devastating it is that that person passed away, I think, how blessed you are 
that losing that person was devastating because I had the experience where losing my father was a relief. Yeah. So different perspectives. So that was my dad's side. On my mom's side, she had addictions. Both of my parents were addicts and her addictions and struggles were with food and her weight was one predominantly. She suffered from a lot of depression and you know, it's her story. So I, I can only tell you my perspective, but the men that she chose to be with put her in dangerous situations, which put us, my sister and I in dangerous situations. So she remarried when I was nine, but from the time I was six until high school, it was one abusive, dysfunctional man after another. So I was molested. I was beat up. I was kicked out of the house. So I'll say, oh, you know, yeah, I spent time on the street and people are like, Oh my God, how awful. Well, not compared to the house. Oh, it was man. actually, you know what I mean? So oh, again, it's, it's your perspective. So basically when you think of a child in foster care, you think of this list of things that that child's gone through very rightly. So, and I was one of those kids, CPS did come to our house. And I remember the woman driving away and thinking, I don't understand why I'm not with her. Yeah. And I'm still here at the house because I knew as a kid, you know something's wrong or you know that this isn't how it should be. You really feel as a kid innately that this isn't how things are supposed to function. You don't have anything necessarily to compare mm -hmm. that with. You don't know what's right. You just know that this is Intuitively, isn't. you know it just doesn't feel right. Exactly. And so we should have been put into foster care as kids. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went through all of those things, you know, growing up. So part of it was coming to terms with the fact that I don't have to like my father just because he's my father and I can be okay saying it was relief that he passed away. That's a hard statement to say and feel comfortable and at peace with. So there was a lot that I had to do to work through that. There was also a lot I had to work through knowing that I wanted a different family and a different kind of situation, but not knowing what that looked like and having to work through and process the, the physical, the sexual abuse. I lost my virginity to rape. Um, it was a date rape and he went to jail for so many things that I was too afraid and I didn't testify, but I didn't need to cause he had so much stacked up, you know, which isn't an excuse for me not coming forward and speaking out at 16 years old. So, so I had to really grapple with all of those issues. Wow. Whoa. I, it's, first of all, it's amazing that you're still here because to be able to get through that is, is, I can't even imagine, you know, we, we only get through our situation in our life, our hard times. And then you hear someone else's story and you're like, wow, I had not, it's nothing, you know, compared to that. And that, that whole foster care system and everything is really troubling also. I interviewed a guy, his name's Roman. I can't pronounce that. Propachuk, I believe, a few episodes ago. And him and his wife, they adopt kids all the time. He went really deep into it. I think he's in New Jersey. And they were talking about how the system is just so messed. Like they'll have these kids and then these kids get taken back to their, these these families it's so hard to get these kids but then it's so easy to just give them back to these these families and it's like they're just destined to be to live these these terrible lives and it's it's like it's heartbreaking you know and it is 
And I was, I did foster care for 12 years. I have 18 kids. So I, I mean, yeah. I can give you the breakdown, but I did foster care for 12 years. And then I worked at a nonprofit. I, I had so much training that I could train people to be foster parents with treatment level kids, which are the toughest, the tough kids. It was 40 hours of training. Yeah. And, and I loved, I was, I feel, I feel grateful that I had so much training that I could actually teach people how to work with those kids. And it, resonated with me because I was one of those kids. Yeah. I was, I felt unwanted and not worth it. And it ties into so many other things. Like, am I smart enough? Am I good enough in sports? Am I your entire identity? Like maybe if I do better in school, they'll like me more. They'll get their right. shit together. I'll have good parents someday. It really has nothing to do with the kids, but from the kids perspective, like why can't I just be worth it enough for them to put the bottle down or not hit me with the belt uh. or whatever the situation. As far as the story goes, I mean, you were on my podcast and I think that's part of what we love about this platform is that I'm one story and it's an incredible story, but it's just one out there. And yes, every time you hear someone else's, you're like, oh my God, it almost makes you grateful for your own. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was, I was going to say that. And I, I didn't want to say that, but I'm like, you know, sometimes it's, it's perspective, like he said. It is. It it's, is perspective. You know, I personally had a great childhood up until I was, you know, 10 years old or whatever that, and, and before that, you know, lots of fighting, but no, nothing like, like that. Right. And it's... Yeah, in the, the like, what I really what I find fascinating is how people can get out of that. How some people spiral down and mm -hmm. they destruct, and how some people manage to do what you've done and completely take a negative and turn it into a positive. And what I want to explore more is this third grade, hmm. third grade teacher. Yeah, Carolyn. Can Saint we Jean. can we unpack that? Because I want to hear yeah. like what what was it about her that really gave you the encouragement or like the light on you? Like what was it about her? It's so, sometimes it's so hard to explain. I can tell you in second grade when I went through the divorce when I was that kid that was crying a lot and not functioning super well. I had a teacher that was a little abrasive and not very responsive to that. She made me feel worse about how I was feeling just by being brusque, I guess. I got into Karen's class. And here's the great thing. When I met her 20 years ago, she didn't remember who I was. So I had my pictures from third grade. I was the ballerina in the Nutcracker that year. It was the first time I can remember my mom ever buying a dress for me new. And it was at TJ Maxx. So in my mind as a kid growing up, I thought TJ Maxx was like this Nordstrom's of kids' dresses. You know, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I had nothing to relate it to. But I got a new dress at TJ Maxx. And that was a huge budget hit for my mom. So Carolyn treated me like she treated all of the kids. I think she was a, a wonderful human being who chose her job and loved it, which I get, I use that statement a lot. If you choose it and you love it, you do well. Um, and she didn't single me out in the class. She didn't think I was this poor kid going through this terrible thing. She set up a great structure in her class, like the red light, yellow light, green light for behavior. She gave us um, a hard candy every Friday if we were on green all week and I got it every week and my sister was in kindergarten at that point and I always got a peppermint and I would ask her can I get one for my sister and I would get her butterscotch which I hate and she trusted that I was taking a second candy and actually giving it to my sister which I was but still just the fact that she was like of course you can you yeah, know like she yeah. just it was a, a hard candy but she believed me and mm. in me 
And I think for the first time in third grade, I, I wouldn't have said this then, but I felt seen. And I think one of the things that people want the most in life is to feel seen for who they really are, not yeah. what we put out there, not, you know, as mom of 18, people make assumptions that I'm this great parent. I've had more times to fail. I am a great parent, but I've had more times to fail. Yeah. And being a great parent probably doesn't mean to me what it means to someone else. So I just really felt seen. Yeah. And when people see me as a parent, they're not seeing me for who I really am. They're seeing me for their failures and their assumptions. And their failures or baggage and their assumptions don't make me a great parent. So being seen for really who you are, that was the first time. And not only did she see me for who I was, because I was a really nice kid. I was a good kid. I was sweet. I was um, compassionate. You know, I was, I got my feelings hurt. I hadn't been too hardened at that point yet. And, and I was worth it. And my God, what's it like when a human being, especially an adult to a child, looks at you and thinks, I see you yeah. and you're worth it to me. Yeah. And that's what she did for that entire nine months. Yeah. That is so important too. And I believe that I just, a bunch of things came to me when you're talking about that. And that reminded me even in sports, like when you had a coach mm -hmm. yep. that believed in you, that gave you a shot. Like, you know, there's people that just don't they just don't see you the way, and then one person sees you and believes in, in your talent and you can just feel it. And you're like, oh, they, I know exactly that feeling because mm -hmm. most times people don't and people no. you meet, they don't see, but you can tell when somebody does see the potential in you and they, it's, it's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Some people can read into that and some people can't. Right. And when you feel that, that is powerful. And especially as a kid, because, you know, kids, I, I can really appreciate this because I had a lot of older cousins growing up. Mm -hmm. So I always had the, I was treated like an adult. I felt like I was seen. I felt like I was respected. I felt like I was being talked to like one of the guys, that, you know, and that is so powerful when you're young and when somebody can actually treat you sort of like, uh, like, like you're somebody, not just a little kid, like the rest of them. And they can, right. they can treat and like what she, what your teacher did, that showed a lot. Just something so simple like that, being able to trust you with the candy. Yeah. Most parent, most teachers would have been like, no, you're just gonna, you're just gonna like eat both or whatever, right? Or or just say no, or just yeah. not even be open to it. I think she was just an exceptional human being, being herself. Yeah. yeah. It taught me that in passing by just being our genuine selves, we can make an enormous person impact on another person without even knowing it. So yeah. it did teach me to watch who I am and how I treat people because mm -hmm. I don't know what day you're having. Right. Yeah. So if, if I treat you poorly, it might feed into your day and that's not my fault necessarily no. No. or my responsibility, but I'm conscious of the fact that I don't know where anyone's at yeah. And so how I respond or act towards you can have a significant impact in your life one way or the other dramatically in a very sure. short period of time. And again, in third grade, I wasn't musing about these things, but I did learn to watch how I treated people. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's interesting, you said with sports, like, like they see you and they see your potential. And then what happens? You're a better athlete. I yep. did better in school. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. smarter but I was smarter. You have this belief. You're like, I don't want to let them down. Like you have this, ex this excitement that 
they don't they're not saying you're going to let them down but you just the way they the way they approach you and they they just give you that feeling that you 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 have to rise because you want to rise and it's right. like your soul stepping up for the right reasons and i actually feel it i mean if you and I'm not a super intuitive personality, but when you really have a conversation, you look into that person's eyes and you super connect, it feels like your soul's opening, you know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. wow, they really, this person yeah. really sees me and it's very moving. So she did that for me. She really mm. saw me and I, I kind of, you know, <laughs> like if I could have put her in a snow globe and carried that around, but that was kind of the feeling when I struggled later mm. with some pretty massive things like watching my mom got the living crap beat out of her more times than I can ever count in front of oh, me. My man. stepmom, my dad broke my stepmom's nose right in front of me. Even if the abuse wasn't happening directly to me, I was just, just drowning in it. Right. It was everywhere on top of being molested or being hit. And so I, I took that feeling out like a little snow globe where you could just like, it was just there with me. I carried her with me through that. And I don't know how I was able to do that. Whatever it was, she was so pivotal and made such a difference to me that I carried her with me basically mm. my entire life. So that amazing it is. And we can do that for people. I mean, yeah. you know, someone said, well, didn't it bum you out? She didn't even know who you were, but she's been teaching for like, how many years? She was a newer teacher with me. She'd only been teaching yeah. for a few years, but I just thought she was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen. Hmm. And not necessarily because of what she looked like, although that was part of it, but she had this confidence and this calmness and like, we're going to, we're going to get through this class today. Hmm. We're just going to do it. And you know, if there was a drug that I wanted, it was that feeling. I wanted that feeling. And so I carried her with me, like no matter what this person was doing to me or the situation, no matter what was happening, she was still out there. And to her, I was worth it. And just knowing that kept me going. Right. So, okay, let's, let's go through the journey. So you're, what was it like as a teenager then? Because man, you're witnessing some hard shit and like, what kind of direction did you go? Did you go into the drugs and alcohol or were you like, walk us through that? Because I'm just thinking, and I only perspective from my life and as a teenager, there's just so much shit going on. So many pressures, you got to school and all this stuff. And, you know, I had a stepmom that made my life hell. And I, I can only imagine how that felt for me then, but nobody was getting, you know, my mom wasn't getting beat up and that kind of stuff. So it's hard for me to understand what that was like. Walk us through that a little bit because, you know, it's such a, a teenage years are just so challenging. Like you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to those years. No. <laughs> you know, like you got, oh, you're so lost. And then, and then all you want to do is have a fat, like a home life where you're like, you feel comfortable. And yet that's a struggle too. talk us about that a little bit. My mom left. So the, the person, I wrote a book about my life growing up. It's from like zero to 21 years old when I found out I was pregnant the first time. So, but I call him the monster in the book. He was a single worst and she left him in five years. We left him like three, three times. I, I went to three different schools in sixth grade. I mean, we moved around a lot to get away from him and then to go back to him. It was incredibly dysfunctional. The summer before my freshman year in high school, 
was the third, the last time she left him. And we moved from Rhode Island to Vermont and we moved in with my great grandmother. And growing up, I loved my great grandmother. She was a hard ass, <laughs> you know, she pretended she was pious and, and she swore though. And you know, when she thought we couldn't hear and she was amazing. I was close to her. We moved there and I knew at that point, if my mother went back, I would not. And I think I was, I graduated at 17. So I was, I started my freshman year. I was 13 years old, but I knew, I knew that at that 13 years old, that I was old enough to be able to say, I'm out, I'm cutting here. So moving there felt enormously safe because I have my great grandmother who I adored and have a great relationship with. And I knew I was old enough to say, I didn't want to go back. So that was a huge relief. And we were a couple states away, which we had done before, but I just felt old enough. Mm. So my mom actually got a divorce. And I remember the day my sister and I were in the car and she got the mail and she found out her divorce was final. And my sister and I were partying in the back. We're like, woohoo, you know, like, yay. And my mom was sobbing. Mm. And again, it's my mom's story. I know I've been divorced and that's a very difficult thing to go through, but it felt like cutting the cord. So I went into my high school career in a totally new place where I knew no one and I could kind of start over. I am very extroverted. I also hit five foot nine. <laughs> mm. So I was trying a lot not to draw attention to myself because I, I, you feel like at that age, when people look at you, they know the shit you've been through, right? Like they can see it all. Like you're wearing it like the scarlet letter type yeah, you thing. You feel that way, but yeah. you do. It's not true, but yeah, you don't yeah. realize that. I mean, so I was more quiet than normal and I didn't know anyone. So I kind of started with a clean slate with my great grandmother there. And uh, that was the first time. Now, again, my mom continues to have relationships that put her in dangerous situations, but I had gotten old enough that, and I had safety outlets where we lived. The, the landlord that we ended up renting an apartment from, I'm still friends with. And I babysat her kids when they were born, you know, when I was in high school. And I had my great grandmother there. And I've had a better support network. I felt more connected to the teachers that I had in high school. I got into music. I sang. So by the time I was a senior, I was, I was the number one alto in the state of Vermont in all states. You know, I mean, I did the things that I liked that I was interested in. I acted in plays. I had no group. I was not part of any clique, but I was friends with everyone in every group. I was that person. And as far as how I responded, I have never smoked a cigarette and I have never done a drug in my life. I've wow. never smoked weed. I've I, nothing. Wow. And people are like, wow, you're so strong. N no, I'm so scared. I didn't do those things because I was so terrified of becoming like my parents. I was so terrified of being in a situation. I had grown up in situations I had no control over. I couldn't get out of. Why the hell would I want to give myself something that made me have no control over the situation that I was in? Mm. So I did it purely out of fear. I hadn't, I didn't, I wasn't interested in alcohol. Again, I have this raging alcoholic father who's punching holes in walls and breaking my stepmom's nose. In my mind, if I, did drugs, if I drank alcohol, I had the potential genetically or predisposed or whatever, uh, nature or nurture to become like that. And 
I was so afraid of that happening that I just did, didn't do anything. Mm. I did nothing. So now that pot's legal here in Nevada, my kids give me shit all the time about like, when yeah. are you finally going to smoke a joint? We all want to be around to see it, you know, because yeah. I never have, but it was strictly fear of becoming that. The same thing with my mother's depression and her weight and her food addiction. When I got out of high school, I wanted to learn how to be healthy. I wanted to keep up with my kids. I wanted to age gracefully. I wanted to stay in good shape. I did not want to ever have a moment like I watched my mom go through of that depression, of that fighting with a Twinkie, you know, wow. like I didn't want to feel that way. And so I learned how to cook and I learned how to exercise and I learned how to stay in shape because I was so afraid of the opposite. Wow. That's incredible because so many people I talk to, if somebody went through what you went through, they would have gone and drugs and alcohol yep. and they would have like as a coping mechanism they don't really think about they don't want to become their parents which is very interesting but it's mm -hmm. very it makes total sense but sometimes people don't want to but then they still do it to cope for themselves and that's a that's an absolute miracle that you didn't do drugs no like, that's not crazy. at all like that's that's like like i i mean sometimes the thing is is he, this is what i mean about this is that at that age, late teen, early 19, 20, like we don't know what we're, why we're doing the things we're doing, mm -hmm. right? We're doing them. We, we do them maybe one or two times recreationally, but then we don't know that that's, there's a reason why we're doing these things. And a lot of people don't have the foresight or the self-awareness to know, oh, okay, I, I, now we can identify like why these things happen, why people do drugs and alcohol because usually it's masking some sort of pain you're kind of mm -hmm. escaping from something right because you don't want to face it some way or another some on the spectrum of you know mild to severe but there's there's definitely a reason people do it but i never understood that until now like why i did the certain things i did and it's amazing to hear that you actually didn't go through that and it probably impacted so much more of your life because you know you've been able to kind of get through and and just for your mindset, not having those like super low, low moments that you're able to process things a little bit better. So I'm just like, I'm blown away. I did have to face a lot. The other thing is that I did have a sister that was three years younger and she, I, where I was five foot nine and uh, extroverted, she was, you know, five, five and redheaded and got picked on at school and super shy and had anxiety. And I'd grown up with that. And I think I probably also felt like you know, if I, if I lose my mind here and do stuff, then what's going to happen to her? Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to be there for my sister too. And I wanted to be a good example. I felt like I was on holding the shit together in the family. You know, I was the oldest. I was, yeah. I was the one that had to keep things together. So there was that. And there was definitely fear. I, I did my senior year of high school. I had this amazing writing teacher. I've never stopped writing. I took photography. I learned, I think, again, it's perspective. When you look at the world from a different lens, I, I try to be respectful of the fact that although I wrote the book and I don't know if my mother's read it, but if she has, it would be very hurtful. And my goal was not to be hurtful. I didn't write it for a long time because I didn't 
I, I have no malicious intent to hurt anyone. What I finally realized was it's my story. My sister read part of it and it's not her memories. You and I can go to a, an hour long seminar and have a lunch about it and get totally different things out of it. So imagine a whole upbringing, a childhood where you're three years apart and you're experiencing different things, you know? So my book is my story. It's a hundred percent accurate to my story. Mm. What I've learned is that, you know, my sister was having her story at the same time. My mom was living her story at the same time. And unfortunately those collided in ways that weren't, that were just dysfunctional. Mm. And, um, as a kid, I didn't understand it. As I've gotten older, I've tried to be more respectful of the fact that we're all living and creating our own story. Yeah. And sometimes that's not going to jive with someone else. And my mom's definitely, you know, she, she made decisions that she shouldn't have made having kids at home. She shouldn't have made as a woman who has any confidence or self-esteem mm. to be with the men that she was with, to be put into situations that she put herself in, to allow herself to be abused physically mm. and sexually. She certainly shouldn't have brought that into the house with children. Yeah. Right. So in that regard, I lost respect for her in another regard i understand she was struggling through her own story because i'm a parent trying to parent my kids struggling through my own shit while trying to do the best job so yeah. th that that's a hard thing it's a challenging thing to do yeah because most people just kind of replicate how they were raised right and the fact like she, you know she can't really use that as an excuse because you're not the way you were raised is different than the way you're raising your kids so you know like a yeah. lot of people that's all they know Right. right. So it's like you almost like it's 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 hard because like they're they were, you know, who knows what happened with their parents and how they treated them. So it's like mm -hmm. that's all they knew. And sometimes I look back and I think about, you know, my parents and I go, Well, I can't get so mad at them now because I see that they, they're just they were just trying their best. They had no idea. But in that situation, something like that, especially since you've been able to do something different. Mm -hmm. then it's, 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 it's not as easy to let them off the hook. Because, no. And, and I don't, I mean, I have respect yeah. for her story that she has a yeah. whole story she was doing. I yeah. have no respect for the fact that she dragged me through things that like, you know, better. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, not to be with a man who's sexually and physically abusive with two little girls standing there. Yeah. And I brought up that I was being molested and it was laughed off. And I know in whatever that circumstance wow. was, I just learned, I had a bag packed underneath my bed for my sister and I for years. And I was not afraid of the street. I stabbed a guy in a leg with a switchblade because I mean, you know, like there were all of these situations that you're put in. I knew if anything, if anyone came at my sister, I would take the hit as much as I possibly could, which as a kid, you think that, and it didn't happen. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to take the hit for my sister. She had to go through, she went through her own stuff. Yeah. But as the older kid, I knew that I was strong enough to go through stuff. It's interesting what you're innately given. What universe, God, spirit, Buddha, I don't care what you believe in. But yeah. I was, I have never not been confident. I have never had low self-esteem. I have never wanted to escape in a way. Yeah. I've never wanted to escape in a way that I wanted to use drugs to do that. Although I understand that call. <laughs> I, you know, I have kids that as teenagers have had, have done drugs. And they're like, you don't understand. Oh, don't for a fucking second think that because I haven't done drugs, I don't want to escape my goddamn life. Wow. I chose not to because it wasn't who I wanted to be. Hmm. You gave me not because there. I didn't want to. Oh, <laughs> that's so, so it's inspiring. Like, I just want you to know that. And that's fucking 
awesome. Thank you. And I knew I should be different and I didn't know what that meant. And so it's been a, you know, it's been a staggering lifetime. I'm just staggering around like, well, I know what's not right, but I don't know what is right, which means I've been married and divorced I, and yeah. I, I've had failed. You know what I mean? I, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that I know what I'm doing. It means I know kind of what not to do, yeah. but I have turned it around. Yeah. And I, I think that's because I learned that I could create what I wanted. Mm as far as being a parent or being healthy. And, and your standards must be so high as well because you've seen what not to do. So you're allowed, you, you, you must have higher standards. I think I'm kind of an asshole in some ways, probably. That's, that's probably good though. Maybe. Yeah. I think there's balance and everything. I did have a therapist that told me, you know, you have all of the, you have this huge list of things that are unacceptable to you. Unacceptable. Like you do it once, I will walk out the door. I'll never think of you a day That's in my awesome. life again, right? Awesome. And then you have this list of things that you really want. I'm a high contact person. I'm very sexual. I like to eat healthy. I want to be outside all the time. Okay, things that you're looking for in a relationship that you like. Then there's this huge gray area you just don't know. You don't know how you feel about it and you have to kind of figure it out as you go. And the problem with that is that when you're in a relationship and things aren't going well, that can be sort of insidious. It's not like one day that you're with a guy who says you're not allowed to vacuum without asking me permission. But one day I remember being in a relationship and thinking, oh, I need to ask permission to vacuum. And then being like, when did that happen? Whoa. Like, how did this process? I, I mean, I stopped in the hallway, a dead stop. And I thought, what conversations led me to this place what happened and i just went okay this is unacceptable the problem with that gray area is that you have to kind of experience some things to know whether or not they're of acceptable course. so in some ways i'm super open and giving because i have this gray area and i don't know let's figure it out this yeah. is going to be an adventure and the other part of me is like you just crossed your lot my line so you're out wow. and i'm an asshole each relationship is a teacher too if you can use that yeah as like to kind of bring you to the next one like ah i like that i didn't like that yeah. i'm going to take that you're kind of stacking the things you like and don't like because that's the only way right. you're going to learn right after the date rape i have to say i mean you asked how i got through stuff some was therapy some was energy work some was my own personality and stubbornness yeah. some was the fact that i for whatever reason i was born and never lost being confident and pretty self-assured that doesn't mean i've never struggled with any issues in those areas, but yeah. I worked through a lot of that. The toughest one was the rape. I really felt like my first time having sex should be something really special. I choose who, what, when, where, how, right? And when that was taken from me, I went on a binge. I'm like, all right, I'll sleep with seven people in fast succession because who the hell cares? Like I already lost that first time. It's not going to make any difference. This is what they want anyway. Yeah. I'm going to use that control. Mm. And then I realized that happened at 16. And I realized when I was in my first year of college at 18, like, Oh my God, I'm creating my own dysfunction. Yeah. This is absolutely not what I want. I don't want to feel this way. Yes. Women and sexuality have a lot of control, but that's not who I want to be. And this isn't the right direction. And I went to therapy mm. and, and I started figuring stuff out. I had great friends and I, you know, I, I, I did the work. And so fortunately, sometimes it takes me a little bit of time, but I realized this, 
this is that gray area that goes on the bad list. This is not okay. This mm. is not an acceptable way to live. This isn't who I want to be. This isn't, if I keep this path, I can't be the person and the mom and the whatever spouse eventually that I want to be. Mm. So I did the work on that, but that was the hardest one for me. And it was difficult for two things. One, working through the baggage of being raped, of losing that first time, you know, the virginity. And the other issue was that I really liked sex. So then I had to battle with like a guy's a stud, a woman's a slut. And I really like it. Is it because mm -hmm. I was molested growing up and I lost my virginity for date, from date rape? Like, so my whole sexuality started as something very traumatic and wrong. Yeah. But I really love sex. So I had to work through separating those like that's something that happened to me that wasn't okay and in mm. that regard i don't like it but i can still i'm still a human being who can explore and enjoy sexuality yeah there's such a negative stigma about that it's like guys it's okay for guys to go and be promiscuous oh, yeah. but then women that's it's messed up when you think yeah. about it and yeah it's uh <laughs> It's it's a very well, at least now we're getting more open about talking about this stuff. Well, yeah, I jumped in and brought it up. You didn't even yeah. ask me about it I, because yeah. I think there shouldn't be that stigma, and it's yeah. okay to be a woman who likes sex. Of course, and it's okay I mean, to be a man who doesn't. Oh, I mean, well, I can't. Girls don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what I mean, like course, we all yeah. have to figure out what's our comfort zone. Totally. what we like and we have to work through our baggage to get there yeah. i had a lot of baggage in that department yeah and I, then i created some of my own baggage you know sleeping with seven people or whatever in in a two-year period of time and it wasn't even that i cared about people thinking i was a slut it was that i cared that this this was not a good direction to be going you know and what so, though that's a very common thing though to be fair is. Like not to, obviously you don't beat yourself up about it, but nope. like everybody, I, I, I don't know a person that, well, maybe I shouldn't say I don't know a person from the most people that I know. Well, I know everybody's gone in that phase. I know I have, Yeah. You know, I, was a, I played hockey. I did a bartender, yeah. all kinds yeah. of stuff that <laughs> is probably not, you know, it's worth talking about, but I mean, we've all gone through that phase and I think, I think it's, no, I, I, I know we like to beat ourselves up about this stuff, but I think it's normal. It's part of the journey, mm -hmm. you know? Obviously, you know, there's certain reasons why we do certain things. And I mean, I don't, I don't know, but you know. Well, I didn't stop having sex. I just stopped yeah. my own personal attitude. Of course. It was my attitude. It was why I was doing it and my attitude around it and the issues of women in control with sexuality. Yeah. And that's the part that I wanted to change. And so I did. It yeah. didn't mean like I'm cold turkey and that was it for the next 10 years. It wasn't that at all, but I, I had, I needed to have a shift in myself that made that healed from the trauma and made me just yeah. have a, a healthy, healthy um, relationship with it. relationship with sex myself. So it was my work. It wasn't about really what I was doing. So there's no reason to beat yourself up about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. So I, there was a lot to get through. Yeah, I want to kind of touch on how do you, how did you keep such confidence? Like, how did you have such belief? Because a lot of people, including myself, that's one of the first things to go in a in a tough situation. I've gotten way better at it now, but how do you keep your confidence? Because you clearly have it. You've had it your whole life. But a lot of people, sometimes when we have a gift, 
we don't realize that we don't take it as serious because we know we have it. And you're going, why? Why is that hard for you? Right? It's like somebody that gets math can do math and just looks at it and understands math. Some people are like that when they come to speaking or, or reading. You know, some people have that with confidence, natural thing. Like, how do you keep that? Is that a natural thing? Or is that something you've worked on over the years? I didn't have it when I was a little girl in second grade that thought it was my fault my parents were divorcing. Mm. I, I probably had it before that. I think kids innate, just, I think it's part of kids, kids. Yeah. Like there's they're freaking Superman, right? Until I, the world knocks them down, tells them that they're, they're not doing the right thing. And then they, right. Yeah. I know Carolyn St. Jean gave that back to me in third grade. And I think really, again, it goes back to, I knew I was worth it. Yeah. So I had a friend ask me once, are you good at everything you do? And I said, yeah, because I try really hard not to do the things I'm not good at. It doesn't mean am I good at more things than you? No. Does it mean I'm good at everything? Absolutely not. It means that when we recognize that we have things that we're good at, capitalize on that shit. Yeah. And when I'm not good at stuff, which is a, I think is a much bigger list of things I'm not good at than I am. You find someone who is, and they're considered a resource. We're not competition. And I've never felt competitive against people. Mm. I'm not, com- and I know like there's another weird thing because of hockey and stuff, but I'm not, I'm a runner. I'm not competitive. Mm. And I, I think that that's been a blessing to me just because like, no, I'm really good at that. And I can help you. Mm. You and I talked about like, you know, people ask you how to do a podcast and I'm like, Oh my God, don't go online for two weeks and make yourself crazy and cry. Like, just let me send you this PDF. I'll, I'll talk you through it because Mm -hmm. I already went through the two weeks of figuring it out. You become good at something and I really want to help people. Like I want to be the resource because I learned how to be good at it. Same. Yeah. So I've been very, very good at finding other resources. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to do the things that I'm not good at. Right. You know, I don't pee standing up Mm because I'm not good at it. Yeah, so there fair, you go. yeah. Fair, like fair just enough. don't do the things you're not. I love that. And I, I think it is that simple. It, I think we overthink everything. So I have learned to figure out what I'm better at and what I'm not. I have a CPA cause I will not do my taxes or my finances yeah. ever. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I love her. I love yeah. her, yeah. you know? And so you need to find people who are resources to balance you out and trade them or pay them for that or mm-hmm. learn from them so you can do it yourself. And so my confidence, I just knew I was worth it to someone. I was mm-hmm. smart. I, I was enough. I was enough for that person. She saw me and I was enough. Yeah. So I think I've never really struggled a lot with my confidence or self-esteem because I know I'm enough. That's awesome. It doesn't, it just doesn't mean I'm good at everything mm. or I'm always having a great day or I win the race that I run, but it means I'm okay with that. Yeah. You double down on what you're good at. You're self-aware. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's smart as an entrepreneur as in business. You, you got to be like that, right? Like mm-hmm. even with myself and my podcast, like, I focus on doing the recording and I focus on the connecting with the people and you know, with our business, I do the sales calls and connecting with the human. That's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. I can't edit. I, I mean, I can, but I have a team to do all the shit that I would take me a lot longer. And for me, I realize I would rather have them do that so that I can focus on what I'm good at. And I think a lot of people can take that away. Just understand, you know, where you're at really go through a list of what are you good at? What should you focus on? Because mm-hmm. we get so wrapped up. I remember trying to do things that I just, I, I, it would take me forever. 
take me forever to look at numbers and like try and figure these things out. And it's just not how I'm wired. And I mean that sometimes it's good to learn new things, but you should master and double down on all the things that you are good at. So I love that because- So why know, aren't we all confident? You know what it is? I, I, here's what confidence feels like to me. It's, and I think Tony Robbins says this, it's keeping the promises with yourself. You know, like when you get up, if you say you're going to get up at six or five, you just do it. If you say you're going to do something, you just do the thing. And in your mind, it's just stacking these like little things. And, and, and throughout the day, you're like, oh, I've done that. I've done that. And then you're like, well, I feel kind of good today. I've made my bed. I've done all the simple stuff, like the simple building blocks. And then you send that message to when you go to the gym. Well, I haven't slacked yet today. So why would I slack here at the gym? I've, I, I've ate well today. So why would I, you know? And so that's what I find. The days where I lose confidence is, yeah, if I go out and have a, a night of drinking, of course, it's chemically you know, from the, the, the booze. But if, I'm, if I do the little things right, that's usually enough to make me feel good. Otherwise, if I don't, then I think, well, it, it just makes me anxious almost. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that something that works for you? Like, I do the little things. I mean, when yeah. I had, when I had 12 kids living at the house and I would at, at night before bed, I would think what three things do I want to make sure get done tomorrow? Yeah. Not this list of 50, yeah. not, I suck at all of the things, you yeah. know, I want to get these three things done today because I know I can get three things done in a day. Yeah. Even when I was working full time and had all the kids and all of that stuff, I can complete those three things. That means you get to cross it off your list and you're excelling. I also think we look at the worst parts of ourselves. I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. I can look at the worst parts of myself and the things that I'm not accomplishing well. And I can look at your highlight reel because now we have social media and I'm comparing the worst parts of myself to your highlight reel and what the hell are we doing that for? Yeah. So I don't show my highlight reel on social media. If I put something on there, it's exactly what's happening. And it doesn't matter, good, bad, or indifferent. It's just, it is my life. It is the quote that made me laugh that morning. It is whatever, you know. Um, don't show your highlight reel to other people and then sit and wallow in your not good enoughness. Yeah. And we do that. And how can you have confidence when you're comparing your worst parts to someone else's highlight reel? You can't. Yeah. So I know that that's, that's a huge issue for people, but really I can't be good at everything. I don't want to be, there's no perfection. I, there's shit I hate. And yeah. so I'm not going to be good at those things. I'll do them if I absolutely have to, and it will be painful. Yeah. And I would rather find someone else and do the things that I'm good at. And then Absolutely. couldn't we all just build each other up? You uh, know? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a, that'd be a great world, huh? It, it would. So I want to talk about this, this family. Like, okay, how you got into all this adopting and having all these kids. And I found this really fascinating because I remember when you first told me, I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Did I hear that? Did it was great that? when I was dating. Did I yeah. hear that? Did I hear that? Or you meant you meant you meant one or you meant to say eight, right? You one eight. who's 18. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 18 children. Yeah. Well, you know, Carolyn set planted a seed in third grade that I can make a difference. I was raised like those kids. I was 15 and I went to the OBGYN and he said, something's not right. You are probably going to have to go through infertility. No idea what this man saw, but I, I, I feel blessed that at 15, he planted the seed that I might not be able to have children. 
I did go through infertility. I had seven surgeries, was maxed out on medication, did everything up to in vitro fertilization, and I knew that was not my path. I think you have to be really true to yourself and feel inside. And I'm probably more thinking and visual than I am feeling. Mm. So that takes effort for me, but you have to feel inside what, what is right for you. And I knew in vitro was not right for me. So I told him I'm done. I'm not doing in vitro. I need to be weaned off this medication. I'm a psycho. I'm not having kids. I'm okay with that. I already knew that I wanted to be involved in foster care and make a difference because she'd made a difference to me. But I found out I was pregnant when they were weaning me off the medication. And the doctor who was amazing said, this is your miracle. We had, you got pregnant off of the cycle we put you on. It had nothing to do with medication. You just randomly shot off an egg and it worked. And so this is a miracle and I, I doubt that it will ever happen again. So I had Brie. It was a very hard pregnancy. When she was born, they told me she wouldn't live through her first weekend. She was born with a lung disease. She's she turns 28 on April 8th, 2020. So she, uh, we got through that, but it was oh. really, really tough. I was 21. I was married. He was in the air force. I found out after that he had girls in every port type thing. And so I was alone by the time she, I was alone at the end of the pregnancy, the last three months of the pregnancy and her first two months of life, I was on my own. And then we got back together. And when she was one, I was alone. So that's like the marriage no one knows about because we were together three years. But I went through quite a lot in that situation. So leaving that relationship and having a daughter and I actually, everything that we, I put stuff in storage at a, a friend's barn in Vermont and uh, packed everything that fit in the car. And Brianna and I and my dog and her pet rat traveled the country for two years from the time she was one till she was three. And it was the sing like the two best years probably of my life, you know, mm -hmm. not discounting the fact that I've loved parenting, but like it was, it was very liberating and fun and I had a blast. So when I uh, met someone else and started dating again, I let him know, like, I probably can't have kids. I'm never going back to the doctor again. I really want to do foster care. It was a great way to start that situation because I really knew who I was and what I wanted. And so if you didn't fit that with, if that was not what you wanted, we weren't a good match, like de deal breaker stuff. So we did do foster care together. I met someone, we got married. Uh, we did foster care for nine years total, but I got pregnant. And I was like, holy shit. Well, let's see what happens with this. I knew I had a very high chance of miscarrying. So I gave birth four times. I was pregnant seven. So I lost three. The last pregnancy, I lost twins at 19 weeks. I had a DNC. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had, it was, that was pretty rough. I had a DNC, then I had a hysterectomy, and then I had a, I was bleeding internally, and it took them two and a half hours. I was dead on the table. So, that was a very traumatic experience physically. That's my physical journey of having kids. But I gave birth four times, which was completely unexpected. I, it was absolutely, people would say, oh, you took an extras. And I'm like, naturally, I had the extras. I, I didn't see them coming at all. I didn't think that they'd make it to a viable delivery. I had home births. I breastfed. I, you know, I'm all like, I shave my armpits, but that's, I'm pretty natural type person, you know? So yeah, had home births, had two water births. It was great. In the middle of that, I mean, I had been licensed for foster care 
And that was really where I found the most passion. I mean, I love the kids that I've given birth to. Don't get me wrong, but I think I come at this from a different perspective. They were really the extra kids. I really had this passion to help other kids that felt like they weren't worth it. So I did foster care uh, for nine years with him. And we took in, we, we adopted four kids. So there were eight kids total. And then we had two kids that kind of, one was long-term in foster care. One was a foreign exchange student from Germany that we've never lost touch with. So I had those 10 and then I was divorced again after 11 years. I continued to do foster care. So I adopted another one and I took in three more that were long-term and aged out. So if you're doing math, which I've already said I'm not good at, that's 14. That's 14 kids. And I was single. I had nine living at home in foster care. You know, kids had aged out. They were all getting older. You know, life was happening. My daughter, who's turning 28, uh, she and I worked together in an office uh, with another woman, and we were all really close. And the two of them started setting me up on dates. (laughs) And I was really not interested. My daughter at the time said, well, you need somebody to do activities with because I'd go to the movies or out to eat by myself and it didn't bother me. But I had a great friend base and I've maintained that through my life. Few friends that are very close. So, you know, I had an activity partner, if you know what I mean, like Mm -hmm. wink, wink. You know, I had, I didn't need anybody to do stuff with. I, I was very content, but they were awesome. And so they would vet these guys and go on coffee dates with them. The two of them would bring this, they'd bring you out, Lance, you'd go to coffee with them and see if you made the cut. And if you made the cut, then I got your phone number, then you and I could go out to coffee. So that's how it worked. So, oh, wow. Yes, it was this whole process. It was, um, I mean, looking back on it, hindsight, it was super fun. It made me really nauseous at the time. I was just not. I didn't care about having a relationship. I was doing well in the corporate world. I was making great money. I had all these kids. Everything was good, you know. But I was going on these dates to humor them. And one of the dates I went on was with Dane. And we're still together. It's been over six years. It, we've, I mean, it's been, we've been together for years. So he had four kids and his wife had died. So mm-hmm. those, that's 18. Wow. So when we met, I had nine at home and then... And I've had 11 or 12 at home many times on rotation throughout the years. But then when uh, we got together, my oldest at the time moved out and then his four moved in. So (laughs) that's... How's that even possible? Like, how do you, how could you afford to pay for all those kids? Oh, here's an interesting thing that I want to point out. I made good money, right? I did get child support. That's a lot of kids though. It is. So I got child support and I made decent money. I was never on state assistance. Never. I have never. I think there was one time for seven months when Brianna, when I was single with her in the very beginning that I was on state assistance. Yeah. Never. I think here's the thing. Whenever, if I asked you about hockey or about bartending or I could, you, we could just pick something, right? And I'd be like, that's outside of my normal. How did you do that? Exactly. I chose it and I loved it. Okay. I think I come back to that so often. I think it's my teacher. She chose teaching and she loved it. So she did great. There was Mm -hmm. no magic thing that I did. I'm very organized. I had good systems in place that I know that's not super warm and fuzzy, but like I color coded my kids cups and plates. So Mm -hmm. everybody, Brianna was purple and Nikki was yellow and like, 
I had two sets for everybody and they were color coded because I couldn't keep up with the freaking dishes. Yeah, you know, I mean like you create systems that work well for you so that you can streamline whatever you're doing. So and running a business would be easy for you after running that. Like, I mean, <laughs> different. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, in my house at one point we had, my stepmom had four kids and there was me. And then we had my younger brother who was like a baby at the time. So like there was six kids at, and it was, fucking chaos it was like it was insane like it was like things were getting broken the house just got beat up it was like it was insane and i'm just like whoa like that's there's just so much energy and so much action that i'm just like I, it's like people ask to come over yeah. pretty frequently <laughs> like if you had just said, can I just come over and like have dinner with you? Like, I don't understand. People just love it, huh? This is the, these are the two things. People would come in and be like, where is everybody? Because the kids would pair up or like two or yeah. three of them. And they rotated. Older kids helped younger kids with homework. I had a very, very oh, that's cool. good system. And it wasn't you like, my one kid is this loud. So 12's got to be like, like a breaking glass right yeah. but it's not like that it no. was they're like it's quiet and where is everyone and you know i had a good system and i loved it and the kids knew what to expect which i think goes a long way and i just set it up so that it worked well and that's it we also got we got outside a lot we're real active and i think that helps too i had really healthy mm. active kids in sports and stuff and you know, you, whenever we're presented with a problem, any issue, like finding out you're the only bartender with thousands of people, right? And you yeah. go, oh, I, I work by myself totally different than I work with someone else. I, got, I have a system for this. And we don't use that word maybe, but you have a way that you do it. Yeah. So that as you get the most tips and the least amount of people are pissed off and everybody's yeah. drinking and they're all happy and you have different systems working with different people and on your own and yeah, you, true. right? So you would have sat back in that bar that you knew was going to be slammed and go, okay, how can I make this work so that it's in everyone's best interest? And I did that with you know what it is. It's always communication, communication, it's showing acknowledgement that you know they're there and you know they're waiting and it buys you so much time. Yeah. It's, uh, in, in you know, I mean, for the, you, a little wink probably. Yeah. Well, knowing, knowing the people yeah. that I know who are going to be assholes, knowing the people that are more patient and you yeah. just play, play off the energy. But that's part of, not everybody has that. Not everybody's intuitive it's with energy. It's a skill. You oh, yeah. Like you got to learn to like, to tell like, I mean, even with kids, like there's certain kids that have more patience or certain that need more yeah. right now. And it's kind of like you're sort of juggling the system of like Constantly. buying yourself time, right? Constantly, you but guys, you get good at it. What are you guys doing with this whole coronavirus now? Let's just talk about this. Like you're dealt with this challenge. You okay. got a ton of kids running around. Okay. We only have two left at home oh, now, Okay, actually. only Most two left. But okay. still, the corona. So I am not politically correct, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. Awesome. I think we've had swine flu. We've yeah. had bird flu. We've had other shit that's come up, right? Yeah. Nothing created this much buzz, this much pandemonium. Yeah. We're, we're like, it's becoming like a mania, okay? And I, one, don't understand that because, and I'm not, I mean, no disrespect to anyone who's passed away because there's been like 4,800 deaths. Mm -hmm. It's 10% of the people who have contracted, it's 10% of the people who have contracted the normal flu and died. Mm -hmm. So the statistic I read from the CDC yesterday was that 40,000 people have died from the flu and 4,800. It's 10%. Yeah. 
it's affecting mostly elderly people. If you look also the information that I have looked at, mm-hmm. it's in places where the air quality is bad and people have a higher rate of smoking. Yeah. So if you're older and you smoke and your air quality is bad, you're in a already in a category. Corona has been around for years and years and years. So this is a different strain. Whenever the media gets us super hyped about anything, anything, remember back when it was Pokemon? Okay, if you're talking so much about this one thing, what do you not want me to see? You're focusing all my attention here while the circus is going on back here. And I don't see that because I'm so hyper-focused on this. So I question, and not in a way that's conspiracy theory. Oh, I I love conspiracy theories. (laughs) I mean, it is a little bit. So what do they not want us to see? And what strain of this is so different than the corona that's been around forever? That makes me think, is it a a chemical warfare thing that got out accidentally or not accidentally? Is it Mm -hmm. something... There's something that they don't want us to know because mm-hmm. we shouldn't be shutting down international flights from 4,800 deaths. Yeah, there's um, that that rabbit hole is is is, Huge. is a big one. It's there's, a big there, one. There's a few theories I have, well, I've heard of, but you know, then there's the also the side the side to this because I was the exact same, and I I think there is things that they're covering up, but I also. I started to kind of look into like what this thing actually is and it's like, okay, like I feel that it is a contagious thing, but is it any worse than anything else? I don't know, but I think it is a contagious thing. And I just think if you take the precautions that normal humans should take, like wash your hands, like when did everybody stop washing their hands and buying soap? It's like, is this a new thing? Is this a new thing? Like, I mean, wash your hands, you know? I know. So, you know, like, and, and cover yeah. your mouth if you're coughing. I just feel like, I feel like this is probably, they don't have, they don't have their, they don't really know much about it as far as how it spreads and how long it's airborne. And, and cause they're finding cases now and it's like, whoa, okay. I've started to pay a little more attention because I don't really understand it and I don't want to get it. So I'm like, all right. I don't think I'll get it, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, like when, when do we start paying attention a little bit more? You know, like, it's kind of like, I'm the same with you though, for sure. I'm like, this is all bullshit. I've sent that thing to people. We had, we had SARS, we had bird flu, we had all this stuff. Then I'm like, well, maybe that, maybe all that stuff was kind of like, don't cry wolf. And now everybody's like, so used to crying wolf that maybe the one thing may like be the thing that we got to pay attention to. I don't know. I don't know either. I just, the the statistics from the CDC don't match the pandemonium in my mind. It also, I think an interesting thing is that my understanding is when the cases were found in China was in the middle of their Chinese New Year, which wouldn't be great timing for them. I mean, like, why would they, if it was something that was planned or odd, that's a really weird time to have it happen. And this is something, although swine and bird this is very very global the nba stopped all yeah that's when things got real for me right two states uh, um oregon and i think ohio but i might be wrong on it but two states completely shut down all schools like that's bizarre world we we have no international travel it's no longer allowed and even travel within they've canceled all conferences they don't want you to be in any situation where there's over 250 people yeah that's nuts it's not it 
it just does not match the numbers in my mind. So in my, I'm thinking, what am I not getting? Yeah. If it's the, not making sense, what are we not seeing here? I was listening to Peter Atia, who's a pretty awesome doctor. And he was saying that, and this isn't to put fear in anybody's mind, but this is just kind of like, I've sort of been like, all right, I got to look at this a little bit. So what's happened is China's kind of plateaued, but it's been happening in China for a while. And mm-hmm. what they're saying is that it's kind of hit that like the curve and it's kind of, it's, it's stopped rising. But in the States, they're saying it's still going and it still hasn't, it's still going to spread for like three or six months. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I don't know. It could go away, but like, it's kind of like, all right, if it's the same as what happened in China, but then there's different things, different factors in China. They're less sanitary. They smoke yeah. more. The air is shit there. So I don't know, but from just like looking at the graph of like what it is and how that's it's trending, it's a little concerning, but I mean, I don't know, like what can you do? You just got to take the time to, I'm, I'm like, well, how am I going to use my time if we're on lockdown? I mean, podcast, listen to, listen to podcast, read. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, start a podcast, start a podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, seriously though, I mean, you got to take it and, 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 and kind of use it as a positive because if that comes to a point where... I mean, people can't travel right now. Professional sports has been shut down. It's like there may very well be a lockdown. I have a friend in Italy. She can't even, they can't even leave their house. Like they're on lockdown quarantine. Grocery stores are the only thing that are open. She says it's insane. Like, I think we'd have to compare this graph to other graphs, including just a regular flu. Like who is it yeah. affecting? What, what's the, what's the demographic that it's affecting and what is it in compared? So yeah. We have tons of deaths from car accidents. We don't stop I driving. Agree. I don't. I so I kind of, and, and in the U.S., what are we doing? Buying toilet paper and water? Yeah. So now I can't get more toilet paper because somebody's housing it somewhere in a warehouse. Because yeah. why? We're going to have no public or well water systems and you're going to shit yourself all the time? I've, yeah. I'm confused by I'm a confused lot of this. So a lot I, of it's media. People see people buying it, so they're like, Oh, I'm just going to buy one. Just like, it's so mad. It's so so crazy. Well, yeah, I'm the same with you. I'm totally skeptical, but I'm, I'm very positive that, you know, that about I'm both sides right now. You know, I was very, the other side before I was like, this is all bullshit. Literally until the other night when I was watching a hockey game and the NBA was canceled while we were watching the game. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And then the mm-hmm. next day, I'm NHL. So I'm like, okay, this is, and then people are getting it. It's popping up. It's like, whoa, okay, like, how are these, I don't know, how are these people getting it? And why are they getting it? Like, I don't know. So well, for me, I I'm like, and Tom Hanks was in Australia filming, I believe. I think he was there filming and he got it. And people are like, yeah. well, if he can get it, we can get it. Well, famous people do all the same things that we do. So yes, if he could get it, you could get it. But it's interesting that when it's affected certain people, now I have a higher chance. Yeah. I mean, it's Tom Hanks who I've never met and he was in Australia. So like, I have no connection to that, but yet people are finding this connection that I don't understand why that exists. Yeah. Maybe it makes it more personal to them because they feel like they know him because he's famous. I, I don't know. The problem is that the things that have happened that are on lockdown, we can't control. It's, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to go out of business, even oh, big companies. Look at the cruise ships, the airlines. The, it's bad. It's bad. It's, I mean, and I have concerns that if it continues down this path, what will happen is the government will say, we've got a program you can go on because now no one can work and we'll all be on some government subsidized economic program. 
you know, I, I mean, if you think the rabbit hole and you go down it, it's not a pretty picture. One it's a lot order. of control. It's a one roll order. Absolutely. I mean, it does have the potential to go that far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I study and know a lot about Bitcoin and digital currency. I love cryptocurrency and uh, I've invested in it and I have no problem with any of that. But then if you talk about it as far as a one world currency and you're talking the one world order, that's biblical proportions right there. Yeah. So I don't go down those rabbit holes really like, yeah, they're there. It's all there. It's all possible at some point. Maybe not sure if this is the time don't want more government involvement. Yeah. And it's not about being Democrat or Republic. I think states should keep control of states and counties should have control of counties. And that's how the constitution set up our country. And I think it's pandemonium like this that puts fear in us where we relinquish control to the government. And that's not the right answer either. Yeah. And everybody's just scared. So they make rash decisions with yep. all their investments, all their spending, because yep. it's all based on fear. It's not based on logic. It's like being scared. And right now, I mean, if you're in the stock market, yeah, you took a hit, but it'll come back. Well, right? we did in 2008, and this is the worst crash since 2008. Same with crypto. Crypto yeah. now, it's all. It's a good time to go in now. It's, a it's good on time. sale. Like, I mean, I know it's, you know, but, but like, I feel bad for people like, I know we're going off on a tangent here, but I don't care. I like this. I love the tangent. It's all adversity anyways. I, I looked at Corona's stock. The poor, oh. poor people, like just because yeah. of the name. The name. It's and that name's been around forever. You know, like what do they do? Like it's not, it's it's like, wow. Drinking beer is not what's giving you this virus. That there are people, I hate to say it. That, I know. Like, that <laughs> I think mean, that shit. I, yeah, but, as long as they have enough toilet paper, they're good. <laughs> I mean, like. But, you know, I, um, you know, for, for me, it, 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 it I'm glad to be online and have business that's online where it's, I don't rely on going to a work. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I have faith that during this, I think podcasting will actually thrive Mm -hmm. because people are going to need, like if you, okay, if if shit just all goes, people still need to learn. Mm -hmm. Are you good for time, by the way? I am, yes. Okay. People still need entertainment. People still need to learn. If people, if they're not going to events, if they're not doing the things to promote their business like they should, they're going to need podcasts. They're going to need to have this, this, these platforms to learn and to grow. So I see, I see it as a, as a positive and it'll help grow the industry, you know, but that's, that's kind of, the, you know, when negative things happen, sometimes things get better. And I hate to see what's happening to some businesses. I know that it's going to be very mm-hmm. tough, but I'm looking at it as, as like a podcaster. I'm thinking, all right, you know, this could be a very valuable time for people to really get their message out there and connect because people are going to be listening a lot more. People are going to be wanting to learn, right? So what are your thoughts on that? I think some business, I think even war is a money-making opportunity, right? Yeah. So no matter what the situation, you can make money in a bull market or a bear market. It's that same philosophy. I think it's really sad that people are going to completely lose their businesses and everything that they've worked for because of this. I think at the same time, other businesses are going to flourish. 
and it's going to be that I think that it has the potential to be very, very hard economic uh, situation. We in 2008, uh, the crash was mostly affected the auto industry and the housing industry, right? Well, we have the potential like there's student loans, there's social security, there's auto, there's housing, there's, there's like five different areas that in another crash in another depression could be affected, which would make 2008 look like child's play it would look more like the great depression i think that we're very unprepared for that stuff mm. and we need to be cautious and that's the fear but i i absolutely feel like more people will do well yes i do all of my work online having said that and even with my own podcast it is not all money making so much that i feel safe in that environment also mm. if like say the the company that's editing your podcast they get sick and can't do it yeah that's there are my, other editors yeah it's my company it's your business right but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what i mean totally like i yes i freelance and that's how i make i make money as a virtual assistant i don't make money with my podcast or my book or my website i make money because i freelance being a virtual assistant if those businesses are hurting financially or they're hurting because people are sick i'm not getting paid even working from home. And my rent is the same, whether I work outside or inside. So yes, I think we're in a better position because we do mo our work from home, but you know, nothing's necessarily safe out there. If but I mean, business life still has to go on. It like, does, we can like, support I mean, people. People still need help with stuff. It's not yep. like everybody can, people are still gonna have a budget. People, not yep. everybody, like people are gonna still have like it's not like everybody is going to just stop and just hibernate in their place. Like people have to make their businesses work and yeah. having help is what, is what allows them to do that. Right. Because they are going to probably have to do more than what they normally do, but they're yeah. still, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even want to think about this. Cause it's like, it's, I, I don't know. It's like, it's such a crazy thought that one two forty 48 hours, it was one way. And then, you know, today is another. So I guess all you can do is just, do your best to not get too crazy about it and, you know, just sort of. You just keep living your life while the chaos is happening around you. I think we just need to do the best we can. And yeah, people are thinking about starting a podcast. This is definitely a great time to do it. Yeah. 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 Your audience does not need to be present, you know? So I do a lot of public speaking. I'm not going anywhere to do it. Yeah. Anytime soon. I mean, I don't know when that will change or open back up, but I, I'm going to be here sitting at this seat, not on a stage somewhere. And so in that regard, podcasting is a great way to get your message out. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, wow. Time flies when we're having fun, doesn't it? It does. It's been where, a blast. Where can we, where can we find you? momof18.com is a website. I use the number one eight. Uh, all my social media links, you can connect with me there. My email is there. Uh, there's a Google Voice phone number there. I mean, basically, uh, that will get you anywhere you want to go. It's the okay. podcast. It's the book. It's about me. It's, it's pretty much everything. So momof18.com. Love it. Out of all the lessons of adversity that you've been through, what is one lesson, the best lesson that adversity has taught you? Tenacity. Tenacity. Boom. Boom. Tenacity. Yep. Anybody can get to anything if they want to. Yeah. Wow. Love it. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank this you awesome. so much. I, I, I was like, well, we could probably, you know, if I had a Joe Rogan three-hour show here, we could <laughs> talk for three hours. Easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
yeah, we're this, we'll make sure everything's in the show notes for you. I don't know if we were connected on Instagram before, but my account got hacked. I lost my account, which is, yeah. I had, what? I had a decent following and it's all gone now. We're working on getting it back, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure. So we'll have to reconnect on there, but we'll have all your information in the show notes for us to check you out and all that good Perfect. stuff. Perfect. Thank you again. Jen Taylor, everybody. Thank you so much, everybody. Please subscribe, leave us a review. Like I mentioned earlier, it's very important to help this show grow. And if you don't know how important it is, I just want to let you know that the more you share it, the more you talk about it, the more hype, the more, the more people can hear about it. And if you need somebody you know needs to hear this, these shows, you know, there's 175 plus episodes of, of content for people that can just get that spark of life from a story. And if you feel somebody needs that, please share it. I love you guys. Stay strong. I'm here for you. Have an amazing day.